0: So we're in Ezra chapter 6, we'll be looking at uh, starting in verse 16 in just a few moments. We're not going to go very far this morning, we're only going to see three verses this morning, Um, but they're very important verses because they highlight for us a very important moment in the time of Israel. In the history of things, it seems to be small and insignificant, but it is a very important moment in their history, as well as one of the most events in all of the book of Ezra. Uh, and, and so this is a very important three verses. Last time we were together, we saw how things have changed from Israel, from weakness and oppression uh, to, uh, uh, to their even their own sin and they turned to boldness and obedience and faith and why? What was the big change? The big change was the faithful proclamation of the word of God by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And so they were obedient to do what? Rebuild the temple. Look, Verse 14 It's important. You can kind of turn back up and look at verse 14. It pulled the veil back for us on, on all that was working in the background. And that is God's providential work uh, as they were building the temple. It says they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. They finished their building by the decree of God, the God of Israel, and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, our king of Persia. They prospered under the proclamation of the word of God. It's no different today, brothers and sisters, as a church. We prosper under the proclamation of the gospel, under the word of God. you remove that, layer from any church you go to nothing and it doesn't matter how big you are or how much money you have or how full the seats are if you are not proclaiming the scriptures you have nothing that's not the point of the sermon this morning that just came to me these three verses this morning is the dedication of the temple that they just finished and they just rebuilt and if you've spent much time in the Old Testament, or if you haven't spent much time in the Old Testament, you, you may not know that this is actually the, the temple um, dedication that uh, has taken place. The first temple dedication was when the temple was built the very first time by King Solomon. It was recorded twice, twice. First in 1 Kings 8, we read a portion of that this morning, was 66 verses long. Again, it's recorded in 2 Chronicles, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. That was a huge event. And if you want to be real just read those chapters. Read read that. Read, we just caught a snippet this morning as we began our began our service. This dedication, however, is only three verses long. It seems simple and small in comparison. There's there's no mention of any particular leaders in our passage this morning. There's no Haggai or Zechariah or even Zerubbabel or mentioned or Jeshua. They're not mentioned. Of, of course, they definitely probably were there, of course. They were probably leading the celebrations and the offerings, and Zerubbabel definitely was the governor, and Jeshua was the priest leading in the offerings. However, they're not mentioned. Or the two prophets were mentioned there on that spring day in 516 B.C. This dedication in comparison was nothing like the first. But it was still grand, and it was still important. And what we will read this morning, very simply, is that it was joyful. It was joyful. Let's look at Ezra chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 16 together. And the people of Israel the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered dedication of this house of God, a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel and they set the priests and their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses this is the word of the Lord and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear his holy inspired and inerrant word for his glory and our joy amen there are certainly times and special occasions that we should, as a people, remember and celebrate. In fact, our calendars have built into them these special holidays and remembrances, these markers that remind us of particular events or particular places where somebody might have lived or died. We commemorate special buildings, not necessarily because of their architecture or splendor, but because of the special things that they were used for, and what they represent. Here in the United States, we have several of those particular places, and I was having a little bit of time narrowing down to at least one, so we wouldn't sit here all day talking about them. But the one of the most important ones that I could come up with was, and the most notable, is Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania built in 1753 to be the Pennsylvania State House. We, however, remember it not being the Pennsylvania State House, but we remember it for being so much more. Because on July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was adopted and signed and sent to the King of England. Then just a few years later, later the constitution of the united states was was drafted and debated and debated and debated and then ratified in 1791 that's a pretty special place in our country and there are others like that maybe the statue of liberty or, or gettysburg important events and places should be remembered in the life of any nation we should set them apart as places of remembrance and and thoughts even places of celebration at times in Ezra chapter 6 we see no difference we see a people setting a particular place apart in remembrance and celebration and commemoration a huge project that was completed under much struggle and opposition even opposition from themselves, opposition from their own fear and from their own sin of apathy and neglect, and then the joy that they experience of seeing the hand of God work through them. That is something to be celebrated. That is something to to, to make much of. I know that in these days it doesn't seem appropriate, or even right at times to celebrate. You know, this summer was filled with unbelievable amount of turmoil, violence, rage, anger. And on Independence Day, July 4th this year, that was kind of hard to celebrate. Now I did my best. Trust me, I did my best. But it was tainted, wasn't it? I have to tell you that I don't have to tell you that these days are not easy. Some people are saying it's just 2020. But the reality is is do we think 2021 is going to be any better? I'm not really a pessimist. But we are certainly seeing a trajectory of self-destruction in the reaping of such consequences. Sin, rebellion, Wickedness, evil is not just tolerated, but it is to be celebrated. And if you don't, you're canceled at best. Righteousness is now hate speech and violence. However, this passage is about good news. It's about good things. It's about the good things that God has done. And call me crazy, when I read these first, when I read these three verses, I was reminded that as Christians, despite all of the fallenness and depravity on display, despite all the hatred, despite all of the, 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 the death around us, the weakness of my own flesh, despite that, that when I read verses like this, it confirms in me that it is okay to celebrate that it is okay to look at the things that God has done and to enjoy Him for them. We don't have a building to come and celebrate this morning, to commemorate or inaugurate, but we certainly have much to celebrate and be joyful of. I love our new place, and I'm so thankful for it, but we have to celebrate and have joy in something that is far outlasting than a building that we are quickly outgrowing. So from this passage this morning, I want to show you why it is still okay for us to celebrate. First, I want you to see that the people celebrated with joy in the Lord, and why? In fact, I think this is the whole point of this this passage of where Israel sees themselves now and where they now can come and enjoy God and what God has done for them. Look again at verse 16. It says, And the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles, it means everybody was there, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. In comparison to the dedication of Solomon's temple, as we already said, there were twenty-two thousand oxen when Solomon dedicated his temple. There was a hundred and thousand sheep offered. Here, as we see in verse seventeen, was only a hundred bulls and two hundred rams and four hundred lam- rams and lambs. Absent from this temple, compared to the first, is the Ark of the Covenant. It's gone. No more to be found. No more tablets of the ten commandments no more jar of manna no more aaron's rod we already know that this temple was far less impressive and ornate than the first we saw back in ezra chapter 3 when the foundation was laid of a new rebuilding of the temple they celebrated again the people celebrated again and they began to sing of god's faithfulness and his goodness and his steadfast love toward his people, but there were some, some older men who remembered the first temple and they wept. And why? Because at the site of this new temple, it was nothing in comparison. By comparison, really what these three verses do show us is how low as a people they had become. It shows us how God had disciplined his people and they bore the marks of that discipline they were not the people that they once were so if that's the case why did they celebrate with joy the celebration wasn't about comparison we just talked about that clearly it's not but it was about that day And it was about how the Lord had fulfilled his promises to them. So to them, it was going to be a day of joy. It was going to be a day of gladness. It was going to be a day of celebration. I mean, they they know. We just emerged from the worst period of time in all of Israel's history. Seventy years of captivity, doom and gloom. But now, what do they see? What's in front of them? They see a temple, but what does that temple represent? It represents that God had not forgotten them. And that God still loved them. And that he was faithful to them. They were all celebrating that day with joy. And you know, I'm, I see this celebration to be so Genuine. Because as a people, they knew what it meant deeply to weep and to mourn under suffering and captivity and loss. They knew and sang deep songs of sorrow. Like from Psalm 137, it sings, How shall we sing the Lord's song? in a foreign land they of all people know this that was a very difficult time but they believed the promises of god that they would be restored and now that day has come there was certainly no weeping that day this was a day to celebrate the mercies of god who had not dealt with them as they deserved but has dealt with them in mercy and grace so they celebrated the lord's restoration they celebrated that god had been true to his word they celebrated how the lord had provided for them they celebrated god they celebrated him it was a day of enjoying him i think they realized that as a people even when the temple was still there that their ancestors forgot what it was all about to enjoy him do you see any parallels to our own lives and how the lord has led you were we not in captivity to our own sin Were we not once enemies of God who deserved the just wrath of God? And when the Holy Spirit began to open the eyes of our hearts and our souls and began to show us the reality of our sin and our wickedness and the holiness of God and how helpless we are before A holy God to do anything of ourselves to change our situation anxiously weeping in captivity were we how did that make you feel I know when this truth hit me it was like a ton of bricks I already knew I had problems I just didn't know I had them with the Lord. And those were big. And I could do nothing about it. And it broke me. My sin was so before me, and it broke me, and I was so helpless. And that was yet yet until I heard the rest of the gospel, right? Verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, but God... The Lord gave me forgiveness, and he turned that mourning and that helplessness and that fear and tears into laughter and joy and hope. Why? Because he is merciful, and he is gracious, and he is kind, even toward... And when you realize this, then we begin to realize how much God in Christ has lavished so much of his love on us. Adopting us, bringing us into his family, calling us one of his own, calling us sons. Adopting us. And that response then to that lavishing love is doxology. Praise God from all whom blessings flow. It's joy. Joy in him, the one who has redeemed, the one who has saved. And every day, brothers and sisters, we have this, I hate using the word opportunity, because everybody says that now, but we, we have this thing, someone else a wordsmith like Bill could come up with about we have this thing to that that should spark in our souls and our in our hearts to celebrate that salvation that gives us joy and it produces joy because we are the recipients of the grace of God that we did not deserve if you presume at all that you deserve the grace of God in any form or fashion Even if it's a grain of sand, then it is not by grace you have been saved, but it's been by your works, which means, according to Paul, you're still dead in your sins. But if it's by grace you have been saved, now you are free to find complete, full joy in God, treasuring Him only. And brothers and sisters, each Sunday, we gather together collectively, corporately, to rejoice in that gospel. We don't come in with our works. We don't come in with the things that we have done to boast because only that is Christ. But we come only in the cross to rejoice in the magnitude of God's provision, in God's love, in God's grace, in God's mercy and faithfulness to his people. And everyone who comes, (laughs) is a testimony of God's faithfulness and love. As a church, we we don't celebrate the dedication of a building. Although we are grateful for our own place again, and we of all people know not to take that for granted, but we celebrate together the goodness of our God that through his son, he has united a bunch of sinful nobodies and he redeems them to be his people. So when we gather, we sing and we celebrate him. You know, usually reserved on the last Sunday of October, which is a couple weeks from now, is Reformation Day, but we take that day to celebrate and remember that as our covenant Sunday. Not because we decided to do something, but rather because God has done something in us. He has united us together in Christ to be the body of Christ. Despite our situation today, despite your situation today, dwell this morning upon the riches and mercy of God. Dwell upon the gospel. Dwell upon the character and nature of God. Dwell upon his holiness, but dwell upon his love. And that through Christ, he sent his son to die on the cross so that a bunch of sinners could be saved. So celebrate with joy in your hearts and celebrate with joy together in our Heavenly Father. That is why it is okay to celebrate. Secondly, they celebrated with joy in the Lord because of His mercy and grace. And this is building upon what we've what we've already seen, what we've already talked about. Verse seventeen says they offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs. At one point I was going to get that right. This was their offering their offering of dedication for the temple. But it also says in verse 17, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of tribes in Israel. Now we just got done talking about celebrating the Lord with joy, and they certainly were celebrating, which by the way, those hundred hundred sheep and lambs and rams, when they got done making those particular offerings, all the leftovers were used for the party. They ate good that day. They partied that day. And now, they come with a sin offering. Now, wouldn't that be a downer to the party? Wouldn't that be a downer to... We want to be reminded again how much of a loser they are, how guilty they are. But again, what are they really celebrating? Are they celebrating their accomplishments? Are they celebrating their strength and their skill and their ability? and their organizational skills to to accumulate resources and to rebuild the temple? Of course not. This place was nothing like it used to be. In fact, it seems pretty lame in comparison. But that's not what they were celebrating. Again, they were celebrating the Lord. And with any celebration of the Lord comes with it the understanding of who God is and who we are. That's when we worship, when we understand who God is and who we are in relation to who God is. And so they could not forget that they were sinners and that atonement for sin could be achieved only through the ritual of the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin It may have been a time of confession and failures and faults and weakness and disappointment before God. But it was also a time of faith that God would be merciful and gracious and forgive them. That through the sacrifice of another, they could be forgiven of their sins. We realize for 80 plus years now, there has been no offerings sacrificial offerings for sin since the destruction of the first temple there was a lot of sin to be atoned for they made a sin offering of 12 male goats each of them representing the tribes of israel israel which is very interesting because of this this remnant really only was made up of three tribes of israel judah benjamin and the levites why did they offer for all the tribes. Because it was all the people of God who had sinned. Not just one tribe, two tribe, three tribe, but all the people of God. That day, it might have been only parts of ethnic Israel that worshipped the Lord and made a sin offering. But this sin offering was pointing forward to a greater promise. A far greater Promise than they could have ever imagined that day. These sacrifices were only shadows or types of the sacrifice that would be made. One for one will be made. One for all through the shedding of blood, the blood of the Messiah. And his blood will be shed for the forgiveness of sins of all of God's people, the church. Hebrews nine. And if you have your Bibles, you can go and flip over to Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews for just a little bit as we finish the message this morning. And you can see this text for yourselves. It the on the screen. Hebrews 9 in- encourages us in this matter, saying of Christ's work in redemption. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25 says, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then, he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ... Having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The Son of God, brothers and sisters, was sent to be the last and final sin offering. Not just the sins this time of the twelve tribes of Israel, but the sufficient offering for the sins of many, as Hebrews 9 tells us. In Hebrews 10, you turn over to there. Hebrews 10, verse 11. It says of the sufficiency of Christ's substitutionary atonement. And every priest, verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that is a very important line, he sat down at the right hand of God because his work as the great high priest offering the sacrifice of himself was finished it's completed. It's done. Verse 13, waiting from that time until enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You remember when we talked about being enemies remember talking about being sinners? Remember being talking about being failures and weak and, 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 and being guilty? This sacrifice that Christ made of himself has perfected those who are in Christ, sanctifying us. Brothers and sisters, we celebrate this reality. we celebrate the reality of what God has done in us through the work of the gospel. If they dedicated their temple and made this sin offering that day, a sacrifice that they would continually have to make themselves, how much more do we celebrate and enjoy what God has done for us? Every day we celebrate with joy that our sins have been completely forgiven. We celebrate that our heavenly father's all sufficient grace and mercy has been extended to us that we may be forgiven of our sins. We celebrate that forgiveness on the cross is final. It's complete. No more work no more offerings, no more giving, it's done. If you brought a goat this morning, (laughs) you've come to the wrong church. Because the gospel, according to what the scriptures have told us, is that Christ has fulfilled the wrath of God and satisfied the wrath of God on behalf. On behalf of those whom he is saving and as Christians as a church we can come and and as we gather kind of a symbolically we rest on in that we we rest in that that truth that we have been forgiven and that the work completed that Christ is seated at the throne Look again at Hebrews 10. It applies for us this truth. In verse 22, it says this to the church. It says, let us draw near. So come, gather, come closer in here with a true heart in what? Full, not half, not a quarter tank like my gas tank is. But with full assurance of what? of faith. Come with full assurance, brothers and sisters, in what God has done. Come with full assurance that the work of Christ on your behalf is completed, is finished. It goes on to say, with our hearts sprinkled, clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water yeah there's a little mention of the bad news but doesn't that make more of the good news let us let us hold fast to the confession of our hope our confession is christ and the gospel our hope is Christ, without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. <laughs> For He who promised is faithful. And going back to Ezra chapter six, that's what they're celebrating. They're seeing the faithfulness of God, and they're celebrating with joy that yeah, I'm a sinner. I've done these things. My 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 like. ancestors were losers too and yet god is still faithful god is still good and he who is promised is faithful verse 24 let us consider how to stir one another up so here's the the corporate nature the work of the gospel to do what the love we stir one another up to love and to good works not neglecting to meet together as in a habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more i love this there is always eschatological hope in all these passages Amen. because it continues through our hope in the gospel is not just today and that the work is completed but it is going to be uh, it's going to come to fruition in such a way that christ is coming in that day with every day is coming nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer this is all really good news And what God has done through his son to forgive you of your sins is all really good news. It is okay for us to celebrate with joy that our Lord, who has completely forgiven us of our sins by his grace and his mercy. This last point, we're going to take a right turn. And I think another one of the biggest points we see in this passage, besides celebration and joy and offerings and the sacrifice of sin, was, again, a people who was committed to the Scriptures. Look at verse 18. It says, And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Of course, it's important now that the temple is rebuilt and the sacrificial system to, to get back up online and for offerings to continually be made and for the festivals to begin and uh, again. But but here we see the priority as what? Of the people. To organize the priests and the Levites set in their proper divisions for the worship of God now in this temple. And that's important. But what's more important here is Where did they know how to set those divisions? Where did they turn? They turned and they looked to what? To the book of Moses. That is the the Pentateuch and more specifically Exodus 29, Leviticus 8, Numbers 3 and 8. Particularly, but but it was the scriptures that they looked and they trusted to know what and how God was to be worshipped. What a What a novel idea, huh? How's God to be worshipped? Well, let's go ask what cultural scientists are saying. What a novel idea. Let's Let's look to the scriptures. During their time in exile, that 70 years in captivity, they had the scriptures. And their faith had been preserved through the scriptures. In captivity, they had no temple, but... They had no place to worship, no sacrifices were being made, made, but day to day they kept alive their rituals and their religion by knowing and doing what they could from the word of God. During captivity is when when it began, the the synagogue-like gatherings began to pop up around the region, where the remnant would gather to study and teach the scriptures to one another. Their commitment, this commitment to the, to the principles of right worship is not something new, again, that we've seen in Ezra. You might remember, I think it was back in chapter 3, when the other people around them, the, the Samaritans who were syncretists in their religion, came to them and said, hey, we want to help you build this temple because we worship this God as well. But to them, their worship was not going to mingle, be mingled with other false worship. They weren't going to compromise the scriptures in the name of peace and safety and tolerance or to just get along with the people of the land. They didn't compromise. They didn't reimagine church. They didn't contemporize or make their worship more relevant to Parisian culture or to soften its edge to the people of the land. And yes, we saw they paid, didn't they? because distinctiveness and saltiness has a price. They looked back. They look back to the word of God. And what we see here is God's people once again committed to what the scriptures had expressed over and over again. And when you commit yourself to the authority of the scriptures over all things in our lives, and you're not just picking and choosing what you want to believe, then there is assurance. There's the assurance in the truths that we have already proclaimed in those first two points. Assurance in who God is, who you are, and what God has done. And so Ezra brought to the forefront again to us the priority of the word of God for the people of God. The word of God creates the people of God and the word of God shapes the people of God. But now we see that through the word of God we can celebrate and rejoice because we now know God. It is his revelation to his people. And as he preserved his people in captivity, a faithful remnant who would go back into the land who he was also disciplining And they knew that He preserved them in their identity as His people through the Scripture. The church has been given such a glorious gift in the Scriptures. We have God's revelation, which spans from the creation of the universe and mankind, to the establishment of Israel, to the restoration, of Israel and Ezra, to the incarnation of the Son of God, and to his death and burial and resurrection, to the establishment and the planting of the churches throughout the world, and even a description of the eschaton, the last things. We have God's word. Do you realize what a gift it is? Do you understand its blessing for you? It's blessing for me that we have it so freely and so available to us. It not only orders our worship, but it orders our lives. Brothers and sisters, despite all we face in this life and will face, we can celebrate the Lord. And we can celebrate his work of the gospel and how he has worked in us But we celebrate those things because God has given us His Word, His revealed Word. And it's everything we need for life and for godliness, for our salvation, for our sanctification, until your glorification. My purpose this morning from this passage was to bring to you some encouragement, to bring you some good news. And there are seasons and there are times when when we collectively corporately we need to be reminded and encouraged uh, that 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 god is for us and that he has given us these things and we're reminded of who he is and that it is okay for us to celebrate and to rejoice not in our circumstances or situation but we celebrate joy in the Lord, his mercy, his grace, his complete forgiveness, his adoption, and to celebrate the revelation of the word of God. Today may may not be one of those special days, and it may not be one of those special places, but this is the day that the Lord has made, and it is the Lord's day. And we come together to celebrate and to commemorate not a building, but we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the Son of God. And each Sunday when we gather, we assemble as God's people, the body of Christ, the church. And then we have much to celebrate as a gospel driven people. That God is not building a building, but He is building a people, a house. We come with our smiles. We gather and come with our joys. We show up with our happiness. But we also come in our tears. We even come exhausted. We come weary. We come injured. We come sore. We come oppressed. We come fearful. We come with our problems. We come with our struggles. We come with our burdens. We come with the multitude of needs. we gather in our one hope. We gather in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Hebrews 3, 6 says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast, hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so therefore, as Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. Brothers and sisters, in that, those truths, it is okay for us to celebrate. Because we are not those without hope. I pray your heart rejoices this morning in the Lord. I pray that your soul boasts in Christ. And I pray that you will hold fast to our confession of our hope, because you're not alone. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again for your word. Will it have its full effect in our lives? You're so thankful for being reminded that it is okay for us to celebrate with joy, you. There are so many things that can weigh us down and put us in the mire. But the weight of your glory outweighs the scale. And so, Lord, I pray that we would build our lives upon those these truths. And that we would hold fast the confession of our hope together as you call us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.